everybody, welcome back. Uh, Kurt, it's our Thursday's Thoughts segment. Uh, just a reminder, because, uh, again, I've heard from people who don't understand the segments. These are unrehearsed questions, so Kurt doesn't know what I'm going to ask him. I don't know what he's going to ask me. Kurt, here's my question. I know that oh, you... Okay. Yeah. I, I know thought you, I was going first. Go ahead. Nope, nope. I know you play the guitar, right? Okay. Every once in a while. Yeah. What What is a hobby you wish you would have picked up or maybe we can get more specific and an instrument you wish you would have learned. Oh man. Okay. That's a great question. My life is full of regrets. So, uh, (laughs) just want to pour (laughs) some salt in those wounds. Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard to say, uh, a hobby that I wish that I'd picked up uh, a lot of them. Um, I'll tell you what I wish. I don't know if this is a hobby, but I wish that I knew how to do this and, I probably could learn how to do it, but I just, I don't know. Is I wish that I could change my own oil in my car. Um, I really wish that I knew how to do that. Um, and not just to save the money, but just because uh, I just think it's, I think it's cool. And the other thing, a hobby I wish that I could pick up, but I, I've tried and I can't, is I wish I could just drink black coffee. Um, the, uh, I, I don't drink coffee and, I've tried to drink it black and it's just so bitter and I can't, it's just not good. I can't make myself drink it, but I, I I refuse to put creamer and sugar in it because like in my mind, there's nothing cooler than saying I'd like a coffee and they'd be like cream and sugar and say, no, I just want a black. um, So I wish that I could just drink black coffee. Uh, Well, see, uh, like I do put, cream in my coffee but i can drink no, it no. back and there are times that i disrespect I, I have a <laughs> lack of respect for you because of that well, <laughs> uh, what i was gonna say if i go to a restaurant and i order something it is rare that i'll send anything back like if they've messed it up if the steak's too yeah. done or whatever it's very rare that i'll send something back but if i go to a coffee shop and they put sugar in my coffee i will absolutely send it back i cannot stand sugar in my coffee sweetened creamer anything like that i I just want a little bit of, of cream in there. Um, that's the way I prefer it, but I'll drink it black every now and then just to get a little more mm. respect from, from you, Kurt. But have you, yeah. have you ever tried it with just cream, a little bit of cream? Yeah, I have. And you still don't I mean, it. It, it tastes fine. It's more tolerable, like, mm-hmm. because it's less bitter, but it's just like, I don't want to bake a cake and coffee. Like that's just too much work. I, um, I, I just don't want to do it. So I wish that I, just drink black coffee. Okay. Um, the other, uh, I'll turn to you. What hobby do you wish that you are? Uh... Well, mine's just basically an instrument. Um, there, there are times I picked up the guitar a little bit and, you know, learned some chords, but never really uh, got yeah, good where I could play anything. So, uh, yeah, an instrument, maybe guitar, maybe piano, maybe violin. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be an instrument. There's still time, John, if you want to learn how to play piano. It's probably the best one to start with. Okay. Um, yeah, but I gotta give you, I'll give you a little hint, you know, Gene Simmons, the, uh, the lead singer of Kiss. Yeah. He says that there's only ever been one motivation to learn to play the guitar and that's to impress women. So, um, he says anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. Uh, (laughs) I tend, I tend to agree with him, but here's the thing they don't tell you about learning to play guitar is that you can learn to play the guitar and I'm, you know, I'm mediocre at the guitar. But if you can't sing, it doesn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. there are a million people who can play the guitar, but you got to be able to sing too. And I can't sing. So gotcha. it's just whatever. 
If I, I will tell you that this is not my question, but if I could have one talent, I ask my students a lot. If, if I can give you one talent um, automatically, but it wouldn't change the direction of your life. Like it would just be an extra talent that you have, but it wouldn't be your career or anything. Mm-hmm. What would it be? And I always choose. I wish that I could just like harmonize with people. I wish when people sing that I could just like automatically harmonize. Because whenever people do that, I'm like, this is a wizard is in our midst. Um, (laughs) This person can hear this person can hear someone singing in one key and then sing in a different key. I don't totally know how harmony works, but um, obviously, but like singing a different key and it matches anyway. Okay, here's my question. The last time I saw you, we were at a wedding, right? Okay. How many groomsmen and bridesmaids or attendants did you have in your wedding? Okay. Hmm. And what was the composition? Uh, how many from, you know, growing up, how many from college, how many from wherever? Okay. Which uh, before we forget, <laughs> you do need to update us about your sons being ring bearers. Cause we said last week you would do oh, that. Yeah. So get to oh, that. I got um, <clears throat> I'm fairly certain I had eight groomsmen and then four ushers. Um, I think that's right. And so composition, I mean, there was definitely, there was one who was, you know, childhood friend. I mean, we met each other in diapers. I mean, you know, we were, grew up together. Uh, or 17. <laughs> Let's see. One, two, two guys from junior high. Well, no, I'm sorry. Take that back. Four guys from junior high and high school. Um, and then my dad was my best man. And yeah. The, and then a the couple guys from college. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, so yeah, quick update about the ring bearers about Grayson and Campbell. They did wonderfully. Um, they did great. Campbell, uh, kept asking me, well, what if Grayson does this? What if Grayson does that? And I just said, I told him, I said, we were, I was standing in the back with him and I said, listen, you just hold his hand and you walk and you just get to mama. No matter what happens, you just keep walking toward mama. And, um, Marty was in the front, uh, and they did great. Uh, while we were waiting to go down, uh, all the groomsmen and all the bridesmaids, you know, obviously went down before them. And uh, every time a bridesmaid passed, Grayson, my two-year-old, flexed his muscles at her. So um, <laughs> pretty proud of that. Like, he just kept doing it. And uh, without me, uh, he was sitting in my lap, and he would just do it every time one of them passed by. So, But, yeah, they walked down. Um, they held their little ring-bearer pillows. They did. I knew Campbell would be fine. The question was whether he could wrangle the two-year-old for that amount of time. And he wrangled him very well. And Grayson behaved. So, it all, it was a great wedding and, uh, were, were you really, nervous when that moment was coming up? I wasn't nervous because I told him beforehand, like, look, all bets are off here. Like Campbell will do what he's supposed to do, but what I, I mean, Grayson's two, so there's just no telling, but he, Grayson did great actually. You know, we, um, he, he just, uh, and it's great to have a big brother. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, if he'd had to walk down by himself, I have no idea if he'd have done it, but um, but, uh, with Campbell, you know, brothers are awesome. It's, yeah. you know, it's fun. It's fun to have, um, yeah. All right. it's fun to have siblings. Yeah, they did well. I was a witness, no mess ups there. So it was good to <laughs> see them make it down the aisle. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's an update. Also one more update before we get to John <laughs> Kwasney. 
Um, we are working on a phone line. So just let everybody know we have not given up on that. We are going to succeed. I know. Kurt has given up. I've no, given do up. not. No, There's see, been so many false promises. We announced it. So this would hold us uh, accountable. So it's going to happen. So we didn't announce it. You tuned. announced <laughs> You, John Perry. It's all on me. All right, everybody. Look, here's. John Hardy Perry announced Here's the rest of our uh, episode with John Kwasney. Hope you enjoy it. back. If you tuned in on Tuesday, you know that we were talking to Dr. John Kwasney, uh, counselor, author, adjunct professor, father of eight, husband, uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, a lot of a lot of roles, a lot of responsibilities. Uh, but he's here talking about his book, Pursuing a Heart of Wisdom, Counseling Teenagers Biblically. Uh, he is the Director of Discipleship Ministries at Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church in Ridgeland, Mississippi. John, thanks again for, for joining us today. Glad to be back. So, so we really talked about part one a little bit uh, last, or last Tuesday, sorry, and um, we're getting into part two a little bit. And so I thought maybe a way as we get into some of the specific issues that you address in your book, maybe this would be a helpful segue uh, because as we let it read out the list I mean some of those e- issues can sound very overwhelming and so what I wanted you to do is just speak to the youth worker or parent out there who does feel ill-equipped and who thinks okay this is beyond me I cannot talk on some of these issues maybe you know giving them some encouragement but then also at the same time a follow-up question is okay when when should a parent or a youth worker recognize, okay, this is an issue that is beyond me and I should refer this uh, to someone else. Just kind of talk on those, those two ends of the spectrum, please. Sure. Yeah. What, what I don't want to happen with this book is somehow that it's thought of that you read this book and you have all the knowledge and wisdom ever needed when it comes to these teenage problems. These are, these are starting places. These are fundamental biblical principles and practices and wisdom that will go a long way to help you uh, in that relationship, either as a youth worker or a parent. But yeah, there's becomes a limit, right? There comes a limit to, uh, on a couple of fronts, actually, one, if it's a limit of knowledge, then thankfully there are a lot of good resources out there beyond this book. There are a lot of uh, biblical counseling books uh, on various issues, all of these issues, uh, you know, from CCF to other organizations that write uh, great authors out there. So, you know, I would always encourage parents and youth workers to continue to read, to study, and then, you know, all place, kind of places they can go on the Internet. That's why I do biblical counseling today, to have podcasts available on these topics. Uh, there's plenty of blogs to read. So, yeah, if it's a question of knowledge, go get more knowledge and wisdom. But there can be other questions. There can be, what if, again— uh, I'm just not getting through to my teen or uh, I'm not uh, they're not really paying attention to me. Uh, what I need what do I need to do with that? Well, then there needs to be opportunity to refer. And sometimes that might be to the youth worker that is trained, has biblical counseling background or to a pastor, senior pastor who has that. 
But then it's going to be, you know, what what's in your context? Who's in your community? Uh, what Who are my go-to people? Uh, and who are the good biblical counselors that I trust? And, and that's a that's a process. That's not just uh, flipping over the yellow, open the yellow pages. They don't have yellow. Do we have yellow pages still? But it's not just <laughs> they're probably just out not, there somewhere, maybe yeah, like in a museum or something. <laughs> that's right. It's not just doing a Google search or, or finding that out. It's it's really getting to know the people in your area uh, who care for teenagers and who can counsel teenagers well uh, and biblically. And finding those resources are very important. Yeah. That, um, that's a good word. I, I just want to say, and, and then Kurt, I need to let you jump in because I've I've said too much. Uh, that on Tuesday when you talked about kind of outsourcing uh, the discipleship of our children to other people, of just kind of looking to other people uh, to to disciple our own children. Well, this goes along with that. Of okay, if you are going to be handing them off, I mean, this is something as parents we have a responsibility before God to do our homework and make sure. Okay, who is this person that's going to be speaking? into my child's life, I better make sure, um, you know, that I'm aligned with, with their, their thinking. So yeah, that's, that's a good word. Kurt, you're about to ask something. I was just going to say that one thing that I I think this is not particular to Montgomery. This has always been the case, um, wherever I've served with Jackson, Tupelo, Montgomery. And I think it's probably the case everywhere. I think lots of times parents think that the only time that they would ever refer uh, to a counselor is if it's a major, major issue. All right. Um, but could you talk a little bit about how, I mean, I, then, you know, in my naivete, like I would just say, well, yeah, that's, that's how it should be. You know, like you should only, but I don't know if that's really the case now that I I'm older, I might disagree with that and think that, um, that lots of times I think I have students who, I think they would really benefit from counseling, but they're maybe not presenting like a major issue. Like they're not, you know, they don't have an eating disorder um, or, a, uh, you know, they're not. Would you talk about that for just a second? Because I think it is. I, I want to make sure that parents hear that. I think it's OK to send your child to a counselor. I think it's good to just go to a counsel, counselor, period. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I, if what you're saying is what I'm hearing, that unfortunately parents can think uh, that only if my child is near suicidal or is, uh, you know, been deep in pornography for 10 years or, or something, you know, extreme, that's the only time I can reach out or need to reach out. I can handle everything else. Yeah, that's that's wrong headed thinking, because there are plenty of times, again, either because you're not connecting with your teenager or they need to hear another voice. They need to hear someone like a covenant parent, so to speak, right? Another person that's echoing the same things you would say, but can go deeper, can, can be more sustained in a relationship that, yeah, the basic problems of life, anxiety, anger issues in a teen, depression, there'd be many, many times that a, a good, wise biblical counselor would be very helpful uh, to walk that road and again, I would suggest walking in conjunction with parents. And so that relationship is fostered there as well, because there's plenty of times where a good biblical counselor would need to speak to parents about their part in the process of discipling their kids or some things, unfortunately, on the other side that parents are doing that are not helping the issues, but actually making them worse. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, and this is it's not really a question, but just it's more like just backing up what you're saying 
is that I can distinctly remember having conversations many multiple times with students where uh, they would say, well, I've been seeing a counselor about, you know, I've just been seeing a counselor. And uh, and I would just say, well, how's that going? And I it would be obvious even before they told me that 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 would be the case just because they they seemed so it was such a freeing experience for them um, to be able to talk about that they'd seen it. You know, they were seeing a counselor. They were getting good counsel. Um, and, then, you know, in, in the instance that I'm thinking about right now, their parents were seeing a counselor, too. And just how um, how much more open and mature and ready to talk about what's going on in their lives. These students were just with me, their youth minister, just because they'd seen a counselor, you know, and really not that many times. Um, so, anyway, all I have to say is that <laughs> parents don't be scared uh, to send your uh, child to a biblical counselor. Um, I think it's really beneficial. I know, John, you've got more questions, so yeah, no, no, I'll, I, I'll give it to you. No, I was going to say, I mean, just again, going back to Tuesday, I mean, so much of this is really just fleshing out the the beauty of the church and the design of community. Like you said, uh, there are times, I mean, as a parent, me speaking as a parent, it is encouraging to know that other people are pouring into my child, that, you know, they can, my children can hear the message of the gospel in the home, but when my children start to hear it from other people as well. And it's not just parents. They're, they're reaffirming the same message as, as huge. And so to think of just God's design of the church, that maybe there is an issue with, uh, you know, uh, eating disorders and you know, okay, well, there's a, uh, a man or woman in the church who's 50 or 60. And they actually went through that when they were uh, a teen as well. And they can speak into your child's life too. And so looking inside your community, your church and, and finding those brothers and sisters that can come alongside you, that can be yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, so important. Um, look, I, I know we were going to talk about some of the uh, just major issues our teens are dealing with. I mean, uh, Kurt, John, I mean, y'all speak into this, but I guess if I had to think of just main issues our students are dealing with, okay, anxiety has to be up there, just the stats that we're, we're hearing about that, pornography being one of those main things, uh, kind of gender uh, same-sex attraction, just all the LGBTQ spectrum there. Um, so maybe I mean, we can spend an entire time just picking one of these. But, you know, as we think about anxiety, John, uh, I don't want you just to read the book uh, to us. But but what's some kind of, okay, a parent says, okay, look, my child is just so anxious. Uh, wh- where do they begin? What, what are some thoughts or some counsel you would give them? Well, yeah, I, I won't read the book. I don't want to bore people to death. I want them to be interested in it. But uh, no, hopefully uh, what what I'd like to do here is just kind of uh, go through what a chapter is. Like it, it, the chapter on anxiety, uh, each one of them, I have five Ps right there. Nice. Opening, yeah, there's an opening portrait. So I kind of paint a picture of, of several kind of different cases. It, there then is kind of the problems listed out. Then a, a, what, what I call it, a personalization, an evaluation personalization that said, here's some questions you need to ask to just evaluate the situation. And, and, and then the main section of each chapter are the biblical principles before then the, the kind of the summary pointers at the end. But in the biblical principles section for something like anxiety, you know, it would be helping uh, the parent or the youth worker understand anxiety a little better, what it is, that, that it's rooted in a desire to control what we can't control. So we have to address the issue of control. You also have to uh, deal with the issue of faith and trust, of course, in the Lord. 
But some things maybe they don't think about that some of the fear and anxiety problem uh, for our teens is, is kind of a worship problem, right? Of, of what are you, what is most important? What are you valuing the most? And so what are you trying to hold on to too tightly uh, in your life? Uh, then even talking about uh, love, you know, things that we, uh, that we love, the opposite of love in First John 4 is fear. And so some fear problems are rooted in an inability to love. So there's these, these issues that, again, isn't just about, uh, these principles are, are not just telling a teen, hey, stop being so anxious, right? Or you don't need to worry so much. Just trust the Lord. It's, it's much bigger and more robust than that when you look at anxiety biblically and then get a full grasp of all the different types of anxiety problems, really, that teenagers uh, can have, just like children and adults. And so, yeah, that's uh, that tops the list uh, in a lot of our lists of problems today. And uh, so that's that's why it's in the book. There are a lot of different issues that you cover in the book that we could talk about, as John mentioned. I just would like one thing that I really enjoyed or just stood out to me um, and I made a note of was uh, the very last section. Well, not I don't know if it's the very last section or not. Now that I think about it, but uh, you talk about uh, un- unmotivated teens. Um, you talk you talk about dealing with a lack of motivation, and in some of the portraits you talk about uh, the person who doesn't care about their schoolwork, and maybe they just play video games, or um, they're just not you know they're just not don't seem to be very motivated either academically or spiritually or whatever it is. And you talk a lot about uh, you talk about external motivations and internal motivations. Um, and I just, again, I don't want you to read the whole book to us or anything, but, uh, I think <laughs> I find myself as a parent in the, uh, external motivation, uh, my, my children are eight and two. So I find myself in that external motivation, uh, category a lot, you know, do this and you'll get a prize or don't do it and you'll get a punishment kind of situation. Talk a little bit about how you trans, how you transition bet- from external motivations, which I think that's where we have to begin to like in- internal motivations. Yeah, believe it or not, that that chapter is actually one of my favorites because if you make a list of the problems teens are going through, just like you know John was running through, you don't put unmotivated teens in that list a lot. <laughs> you you again, you tend to focus on the biggies, the these these huge issues and cultural issues, gender and homosexuality and pornography and, and, and things like that. And yet, um, the unmotivated youth is pervasive, uh, in our society. And we, we kind of, um, you know, think that's just how it is. That's just how teenagers are. They're going to lack motivation and they're going to not live up to their full potential sort of thing. And yet, you know, I, I left it to last partly because it's in alphabetical order, unmotivated youth in use, but because it kind of sums up, I, I think my, my overall view of where parents need to change the way they deal with their teenagers. I think parents tend to be very good with extrinsic motivation. You know, they set up punishments, they set up rules, they set up rewards and privileges and all these things. And that's great for parenting an eight-year-old and a two-year-old and and pretty much effective. But then our children, you know, transfer and translate into this great middle ground between childhood and adulthood. And what we want to see, this whole idea of pursuing a heart of wisdom, we want to see them doing the right things because they believe they're the right things to do because they want to do them because the reward 
is in their relationship with Christ. The reward is in themselves, so to speak, versus what somebody else will do for me. Uh, it's the joy of doing a good job sort of thing, the joy of pleasing the Lord. And so making that change starts with the parent, because I think parents have to learn, quite frankly, just to stop the all the external uh, uh, goal setting or external motivators. You know, stop just talking about, you know, if you do this, you can go out this weekend or you or if you do this, you can play more video games. Or if you do, if you don't do this, I'm going to take the keys to your car away or, you know, all these things that they are treating our teens like children instead of realizing the hard part as a parent is realizing, you know what, I've got to give some time and the Holy Spirit some room to to build up a heart of wisdom where they want to do it themselves. And if that doesn't happen then these are the same kids that are going to go off to college and they're not going to go to class because there's no external motivation to do so. Right. They're like, maybe you say grades are an external motivator to you want good grades, go to class. But if they're only moved by external motivation and not because they have a good work ethic, not because they don't, they they don't have a heart to please the Lord, uh, then all that's for naught, you know? So I think part of this whole, uh, effort, is not about looking at rewards and punishments to deal with these problems, including the lack of motivation, but it's all about discipling, teaching, training, encouraging, counseling, and and looking then in faith for the Spirit and the Word to do their work and their hearts to grow them up to maturity. And so the bottom line is if parents aren't making that shift in their own mind and continue to offer all these extra external motivations, uh, then what chance really do they have that they're going to be internally motivated? So make the shift to counsel, discipleship training, and be patient. Let this grow up inside their own hearts. Yeah, that's, yeah, good, good counsel right there. Um, John, as I look at, again, the index of your book, and I see technology and media, uh, that's one that I would think, okay, (laughs) that's going to be top of the list. Um, Related to that, how would you say smartphones have impacted so many of these areas? I mean, when we think of pornography, obviously, just the accessibility because of of smartphones. But there's, you know, a pretty good bit of research coming out showing how smartphones have increased anxiety among this, you know, iGen generation or Generation Z, whichever one you want to pick. Um, so do you think smartphones have impacted various areas? Uh, if so, how, what, what, what have you seen in your own counseling? Just kind of lumping all that together. Yeah. Again, a very important chapter to address and, and one, hopefully that won't become too outdated over the years because who knows what technology is going to look like in five years with teenagers and, and, and further on. But yeah, without, without making, um, you know, the smartphones, the, the, the boogeyman kind of thing, it really has, it really, you know, my counseling of course is not just with teenagers, but a lot of adults and a lot of marriages. And and I would say smartphones are killing marriages too, in many ways. That's for another podcast. Amen to that. I mean, that's something I do think as Christians, we've got to speak on more, but go ahead. Sorry. Well, I I was actually just reading a a research study about how upwards of over 50% of married couples, the last thing they do before they go to bed is look at their smartphones. In other words, it's not talking to one another. It's not loving each other. It's they're still on their smartphone. So I think unfortunately parents have gone a long way in this smartphone generation to, uh, exemplify, uh, poorly, uh, to our next generation, 
who then have taken it to a much different level and and made the smartphone, uh, you know, connection to the internet, to social media, their entire world. And so, yes, and look at that whole list: Ang- anger, anxiety, depression, uh, some of the addictions, uh, pornography, of course, uh, all sorts of relational issues come into play inside of all of these problems can be directly linked to how we relate to the world, how we relate to each other through our through our technology. No doubt about it. I'm, I'm glad you're speaking to that. Like I said, and I know I interrupted you there, but um, yeah, there, there's a lot to be concerned uh, with over just smartphone usage and just, uh, you know, I guess just addressing it as just an overall lack of discipline and how uh, not only our teenagers, but as you said, adults, just addicted to their phones. I mean, we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast and, and the local youth worker, but uh, so much of our technology, I mean, it is designed <laughs> to addict us, to draw us back in, to make it difficult to put down, to look away from. And it's a very subtle way in which I believe Satan is destroying marriages. I mean, like you said, just even, you know, maybe nothing just... Um, glaring that's you know quote-unquote horrible in the marriage but just the lack of communication alone you just think of that building up over time that's going to 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 wreak some some havoc in in marriages so i'm glad to hear you mention that and hope more people do speak out on that well and, and i also add to that let's look at the real quickly the other side of it uh use of uh smartphones for internet access for for where teens get their news and their information. So all these problems have information out there about them, right? The obvious ones are things like, uh, what do they learn about gender and identity? Well, we know pretty much, depending on where they look and read and either what blogs or what websites, they're going to get a lot of wrong information. But I think they get misinformation about almost all these problems. So so not only are, are teenagers, unfortunately, in a tough place where they're they're experiencing these issues in their own life, well, like normal human beings, when you have a problem, you're going to look for a solution. And if they're not hearing biblical wisdom from their youth pastors, their pastors, their teachers, their parents, then they're going to seek out it everywhere else. And they always have, right? But now there's so much information and, again, so much misinformation and poor information and detrimental information that they can get their hands on very quickly right there in, in their own quiet room, you know, by themselves and start believing lies and continue believing lies that parents don't even know mm. about if they're not interacting on these issues with them. Mm. I was going to ask, um, when you talk about counseling and counseling your own children, all right, now, if I was your child, I would expect you to try to like counsel me, you know what I mean? Because you're like a counselor, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, all right, here we go. Here's dad. He's trying to work his magic on me. You know what I mean? Like, he's, <laughs> but, um, t- talk to me about how you're like, how do you, I, I, parents will say, I'll, I'll have a conversation with the dad. I had one recently and the dad would say like, I really want to talk to my son about, you know, this or about that. But it's just like hard to like bring the subject up. You know, I can, it's easy for me to have a conversation, a one-way conversation about his grades, be like, look, you're, you know, you missed this homework assignment. And, but that, that's not really opening up conversation and it doesn't really, it's not really helpful. So like, I guess, I don't even know if you can answer this question. It might be an impossible question to ask, but like, how do you subtly, how do you subtly transition into counseling your children 
versus like being like, let me sit down here and counsel you. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I know exactly what I mean. But let me say that it, with my own kids, yeah, they they know uh, my wife and I are counselors, so they expect it. But oh man, they they they, they, they definitely <laughs> they get a double dose of it. Yeah. yeah, but that that works against us, of course, because they look at us and like <laughs> you're supposed to be great counselors. You know what's your problem <laughs> or. Or they, they, again, still think of us first as parents. And so we, we, we are still responded to as parents, not the counselor. But, yeah, I, to kind of get to that, that question, I would say if, if a parent is envisioning counseling their child as, you know, bringing them to an office somewhere in their home, closing the door, you know, sitting in two chairs and saying, okay, it's time for our counseling session now. Uh, talk to me about your anxiety. Give me a little background about yourself. Uh, you know, uh, that that's not parental counseling. Parenting counseling obviously begins in relationship in a long-term relationship, and it it does it is it is uh, should be thought of. You mentioned the word subtle. It should be thought of as an informal process versus a formal process. It's an informal process of just spending enough time with your child to get there. And yes, the conversation might start with something like, you know, hey, you really need to work on those grades. You're, you really you pull them up and, and, and your, your teenager starts, you know, pushing back on you like, I'm trying, Dad. I'm just not very smart. I'm just an idiot. That's what I am. And the parent says, come on, what are you talking about? You're, you're, of course you're smart. What, what's the issue going on with your life? And you're just in a dialogue with them. You're just having a conversation. And suddenly you're realizing, I think my son's looking at himself poorly or my son might even be a little depressed or maybe he's anxious uh, about things. And so then you're starting to, to think in categories, kind of counseling categories. But as far as style goes, it should be very relational, uh, very informal conversations. Again, with my boys especially, start with pretty innocuous things, even talking about Fortnite or talking about something else. And then we're getting down to you know some of their heart issues when they start talking about it. And, and let me say honestly, several of my kids tell me that, that I'm a terrible listener. Which, you know, hurts my feelings since that's my profession. Uh, but, you know, I have to be challenged by that times that, that maybe I am talking too much to them and not just sitting and listening. And so a big portion of what a parent does in the teenage years is listen a lot more than either you want to or that you think you have time for or that you're even interested in them sharing their heart. And you, that will go a long way to get you to be your parents' best biblical counselor, just mm. listening to them. That's some, yeah, very good advice. And, and I know kind of in light of that, just me speaking as a parent as well, uh, I've been convicted over just, I get home from work and it's like, I've been listening all day long. I, I don't, I just, I don't want to listen. I just, I kind of want to zone out and I can see, you know, my children coming up to me, wanting to talk to me, give them, giving them attention. And so just the tendency I have to just want to check out. Um, but uh, to, yeah, definitely sit there to, to be a good listener. I mean, that's, uh, some good advice. Yeah. And just one last thing on that. If, if you think you, as a parent that you're going to just jump in and be your child's counselor in the crisis of the moment, uh, and you haven't been building up a at times of relationship and listening and interaction, common sense says, how, how is that going to go? They're, they're not going to talk to you or listen to you 
in the crisis moment. But you're you're ready for these crises that are in the in, in the book when you've established when you've moved past kind of a parent-child sort of relationship where you're just babysitting them or playing with them or making sure they're doing the things they're supposed to, and you've moved to a a, a more adult-adult sort of conversational heart-level relationship, then you'll be they'll be wanting to talk to you about these things. Mm-hmm. But if you're just going to jump in and be their counselor when the problem occurs, it's going to be tough sledding. Yeah, I like the just the Deuteronomy six mindset of just the informal as you walk along the road, having these conversations and getting down to hard issues. Um, Kurt, I know we're going to start wrapping this up. Uh, I had something else I wanted to ask. Was there something you want to jump in? Okay, you're you're turned off. So <laughs> no, you go ahead, John. You go okay. right ahead. <laughs> well, John, I was wondering. I know when someone writes a book, they always or typically think, oh, there's another chapter I wish I would have added um, as, you know, it's gone to publication. Um, is there another issue you wish, oh, yeah, I could have talked about this, but I didn't, or just ran out of time or, or space or uh, something in the culture has now brought another issue to the surface? Uh, but is there is there another issue or a chapter you wish you could add now? Uh, yeah, you're right. There's certainly times you go back and, and, and wish you could have said more about a certain topic. I, I go through there and think when I, when I was in drugs and alcohol section, not a whole lot of time quite honestly spent on, on vaping and, you know, all, all the, the jeweling and all these things that have just kind of blown up in the last year. In my experience, I know it's been out there for longer than that, but with teens, it's just kind of blowing up more and more, you know, some more time on that. Although, again, the, the principles will apply to the specifics. Uh, and so I think also it'd be nice to have a follow up on some of the, the more challenging kind of what we might refer to in cultures as psychiatric sort of things. What about some of the more extreme um, you know, I'm not talking about necessarily schizophrenia, but some of the more extreme complicated problems. Um, but again, uh, wanting to be foundational with this and here are, you know, kind of the top 15 problems you'll see pretty happy with that. But yeah, there, there's certainly, uh, there's certainly room for expansion in other areas. Maybe volume two. I don't know. We can look for, (laughs) look for that. Maybe, um, look, John, we appreciate you taking the time out to come on the the podcast. We, we appreciate you uh, writing this resource uh, that is, I mean, it, it's such a gift to the church, such a gift to to families out there uh, that we would encourage to to pick this up. Uh, those who listen, be be following, look, look at, you know, Facebook, Instagram. We'll share some ways in which you can uh, possibly get a copy of this uh, resource. I also want to plug uh, John's podcast that we mentioned on uh, Tuesday biblical counseling today as we said it's in season five and I mean covers so many issues so many topics uh, so parents would do well to to listen to that what it's about 20 30 minutes a segment is that right John yeah it's about 30 minutes uh, 12 episodes in a season so yeah that's it just me talking I don't I don't have a sidekick like you do <laughs> all right well John th- thanks again uh, for coming Wh- on whoa Whoa, right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm your sidekick. Fired. I'm your sorry, sidekick. Sorry, John, you're the sidekick. I, yes, I said yes, that wrong. Yes. I get that. Yeah, sorry right. about that. Yeah, no, I'm, to, I'm, I'm totally partner. the sidekick. It's just, it hurts to be told that. <laughs> um, co-host, right? Is that a... There you go. Oh, sorry. Yeah. That's right. Edit that out. I, I don't want sidekick to, to be stuck with Kurt forever. So, no, so, I'm, yeah. I'm the Ed McMahon. He's the Johnny Carson. Every, I got it. Everyone yeah. knows I'm the sidekick. We, we all know that. And, and those who couldn't see, John was looking at Kurt when he referenced me as the sidekick. So that was it. 
Um, but John, thanks for being on. Everyone, thanks for uh, for checking uh, checking out the podcast uh, this week. We'll be back next week. Have a good one.